on this episode of Courageous Imagination. It's very sad when we view it as a zero-sum game where paying attention to this church means we're not paying attention to this church or paying attention to intercultural comes at the expense of someone else. And that particular tendency doesn't seem to want to go away. The the fact that it doesn't want to go away seems to me one of the reasons why I think this may be of God. This may be God working in this. I'm joined by Leah Reeser-Keller, MCEC Executive Minister, as we host a conversation with Jack Suderman from First Mennonite Church and Kim Penner from Sterling Avenue Mennonite Church, where we discuss who we are together and the church that we are becoming. We're glad that you're able to join us for this really interesting conversation as we continue the Courageous Imagination journey together. So my name is Kim Penner, and I'm a full-time pastor at Sterling Avenue Mennonite Church in Kitchener. I also have a PhD in theology, and I teach ethics at a few academic institutions, including Christian ethics at Conrad Grable University College. So I'm someone who particularly loves conversations about power and the church, people's embodied experiences of God, and how Mennonites define peace and violence. I also have two children, Jackson, who is four years old, and Ethan, who is two years old. And my partner's name is Dylan, and he works for a fundraising consultancy for nonprofits out of Guelph, Ontario. Uh, yeah, thank you, first of all, for this invitation to be with you. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm formally retired from a host of involvements uh, that I've had with the Mennonite Church. And I've worked through um, with leader, especially Anabaptist leadership training uh, in over... 30 countries by now in the world, uh, focusing on teaching and administration and writing and leadership for the church, including when I was General Secretary of Mennonite Church Canada, I visited every congregation at their place of worship, uh, which was quite an undertaking because Canada is very big and we did have a lot of, we do have a lot of congregations. But it was very rich to do that and get to know the church at the, at the global, the regional, the local, and the very, very personal levels. I've also worked uh, with Mennonite World Conference a lot as secretary of the Peace Commission and also the chair. When I retired, they appointed me missionary ambassador for Mennonite Church Canada, which was a big title for, but it was a very uh, rich time of teaching around the world. And now Irene, my wife uh, of uh, almost 56 years, and I are retired and we live here in New Hamburg, Ontario. Uh, And so I'm very grateful for what uh, opportunities my family and I have been given. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Together on this journey of courageous imagination, looking at where God is calling us as a faith community, two of the core questions that are guiding us is who are we together? 
as a Mennonite Church Eastern Canada community of faith? And the second question is, what is the church that we are becoming? And so these are the two questions that I want to go into a bit more detail with both of you today. You both have a really unique perspective on this as people who have been very active in local congregational life. Kim, you are an active pastor of a large congregation right now, and you both have a theological lens to look at this with as well and to help put this in the context of our broader Mennonite movement, our broader Christian movement. As we think about this, both within the, the geography of Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, across Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick, and also thinking about how this is situated within the global Mennonite and Baptist movement. So as we think about this first question, who are we together as an MCEC family of faith? I'd be interested to hear from you, what do you see that holds us together as a, as a community of faith? So what would you say are three top values or principles that can bring us together across the diversity of our community? Of Right now, we're about just under 100 congregations, over 16 different languages of worship. What would you see as three values or principles that hold us together? One value, I think, that's becoming increasingly clear is that we are an intercultural church. And uh, we see this, especially in MCEC, but also in other parts of Canada, like in the uh, Church of British Columbia, uh, experiencing this in a very significant way. Um, and together with that, we are a global church. Um, and I hasten to say that this is not; these are not necessarily the same things. Um, it is evident that our church in MCEC in particular has become a church of many cultures here in Canada. And uh, that is great. I think that's holding us together in many ways. Uh, I'm hoping that that will not uh, keep us from being a truly global church as well. Um, they, to be intercultural and to be global are very complex things. These are not easy things to work at, uh, but they are very important things. And I hope uh, that we continue to nurture those values. So, Jack, could you say what's the, what you see as the difference between being global and being intercultural? One can be inter, we, one can be uh, intercultural in a tribal kind of way. There is a tendency to become more tribal, more isolationist, more uh, more fundamentalistic, and that keeps us from being truly open to what God is doing uh, around the globe, around the world. Um, and so I don't think they are, are the same. In fact, that's, that leads me to my second point, actually. Another value that I, that I hold and that I think MCEC holds very deeply is, is uh, a sense of unity, uh, drive to be a unified church. We want to be a community of hope. This is something the world needs badly in a sense of hope and, and a hope that is grounded in something, not just superficial hope. Um, and the church is designed to be a source of hope. Uh, and the Apostle Peter tells us that you should always be, or we should always be prepared to defend the hope that is in us. Uh, it's a kind of an interesting assignment. Um, and this hope is not based on, on kind of presumed perfection or uh, but on demonstrating the power of powerlessness 
the supremacy of servanthood, uh, the overwhelming power of love. And those are the kinds of things that actually inject hope uh, into the world. Thanks, Jack. Kimberly, over to you. Who are we together? What are the things that, that hold us together? Well, who are we together is a really good question that I have actually been trying to wrap my head around as someone who is new to congregational ministry. I just started at Sterling a couple months ago, and I'm getting to know a particular congregation, and I'm seeing exactly what it means that MCEC and MC Canada are so congregational. Each church really does have the ability to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, and there's a great freedom around even the use of language for rituals of the church. We don't all have to do everything the same way. And I think that that's really wonderful and really liberating and that each congregation should be given that freedom. And that we aren't a hierarchical church, at least in many ways. And so that kind of a grassroots approach really makes sense for us as Anabaptists. But it also makes me think about, well, what does bind us together as a wider church or wider still with other Christians or wider still with other faiths? And in some ways, in my experience, it seems like it's more challenging to identify what we have in common with other Mennonites sometimes compared to other Christians. I'm thinking of ecumenical dialogue or people of other faiths. And I'm thinking of interreligious dialogue. Sometimes our internal conflicts are harder than the differences that we have with people from other denominations or other religious traditions. But I do see the value in our shared identity as MCEC congregations. The top three values that I would love to see us discuss and gain greater understanding together on uh, would be justice, love, and peace. How do we define these values or norms? And does it matter if we define them and view their implications differently? a really interesting conversation that needs to happen that relates to justice and it also relates to power and how several of the issues facing our church today are actually all tied together by our understanding of power and it relates to how we understand justice. So those are just some of the threads that we could pick up on, but the three values that I think we need to discuss, again, are justice, love, and peace. Kim, could you go into a little more detail or tell us a, a story or a practical example of how you see issues of power and 
justice and love and peace all tied up together. What does that look like in action? And how do we how do we pay attention or know where power is and how it's being used? So one of the places where we could look for how these values are interpreted is our understanding of ecclesiology or what it means to be the church. Do we view MCEC as made up of congregations that all have the same experiences of privilege and disadvantage within our society? And even within those congregations, does everyone have the same experiences of privilege and disadvantage in our society? And I'm thinking socially, like with regards to race, class, gender, sexuality, age, ability. And then how does that mesh with our understanding of church as the priesthood of all believers and that we should all ideally be considered equal, equal participants, equal in shaping the vision of the church. So it's kind of the contrast between the vision and the reality. And given the reality and the fact that we aren't all equals and that we do have various experiences of privilege and disadvantage socially and ecclesially, how do we work with that? Do we even acknowledge that? Jeff, I'm wondering if you have any stories of how you've seen this tension of um, play out in the some of the global church work that, that you've been involved in or thinking about Mennonite World Conference and your role there. What does it look like for, for congregations, for national churches to come together and to, to find unity or find things that, that hold us together despite the many differentiations of access to power and resources uh, within a society, within a country, within a church. From your experiences, where have you seen churches taking action to overcome that or finding ways to address the, the different uh, power at play so that we can get toward that priesthood of all believers value? It is, it is I, like I said, it's a very complex thing. To be global, uh, truly global and intercultural, um, taking into consideration all the facets that Kim has already pointed to and more, I'm sure, uh, is very complex. But having said that, one of the one of the interestingly enough, one of the places that one has has that I have a sense of of where this is is actually worked at and and to some degree successful is precisely in the Mennonite World Conference where you have 107 different nations represented, uh, about 60 or so different national churches represented of all kinds, uh, both in terms of culture, but also in terms of poverty, uh, wealth, um, privilege, uh, all those things that, that are aspects of, of power and, and so on. And yet in that space, something happens that is quite remarkable. One is a very practical thing uh, in the way they are, the way they fund themselves. They have what is called a funding formula. And so all the expenses that are assigned or the expected uh, 
financial participation that is assigned to the churches around the world is based on, a, on an agreed-to formula, which is determined by every country's gross national product. It's determined by by their average salary levels. It's there's about I don't know how many about eight or nine different uh, ingredients that form that come into this formula, and based on that, congregations are asked to contribute according to their capacities. That's quite a remarkable thing. It's going to uh, an assembly, for example, for a Canadian, it may cost us $580 registration fee. A Cuban going to uh, the same assembly, it may cost him or her uh, $0.85 cents, uh, registration fee. And everybody can be there according to the capacity that their particular context allows. And, and that's how it's handled. Now, North Americans sometimes complain about that because it's, it becomes very expensive for us, and rightfully so. Uh, but that is one, one way that they work at it. Another way that they work at it, which I find really also remarkable, is that they've decided to have do all their business according to consensus decision-making model. Uh, they don't have votes by majority or votes by whatever they every every decision that is made is made by consensus and they spend a lot of time at each single meeting explaining what is a consensus model why you know how does it work what are the values behind it and so on and so forth and in a in a place that one would least expect, expect it to work it works remarkably well it, it generates a sense of, of, of being in this together. Courageous Imagination is inspired by Isaiah 43.19. So we want to ask you, what is a new thing you see God doing? Wow, you know, sometimes I think that question is kind of more about what is a new thing we are learning about God. But I think that God is revealing to us that we are not limited as the church to a building right now and that we can embrace and in fact depend on a much broader understanding of the church that includes our immediate neighbors and especially creation. I just see God's activity liberating uh, activity, peacemaking activity, justice creating activity, uh, uniting activity uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, for example, in the pandemic, you know, the generosity and the and the increased awareness of, of each other, question of racism, and you know, that's coming more and more to light and the way countries around the world, including here, we are grappling with this. I think that kind of thing is of God. The heightened consciousness of liberation of creation, as Kim has also mentioned. Um, this yearning for freedom that we see kind of everywhere in Myanmar and in Hong Kong and all over and over here at home. Uh, these are all ways that I think God is acting, God is very active, um, trying to inspire uh, God's vision for, for the world.
and finding ways of finding ways and avenues of doing that even sometimes through the church and sometimes not. So MCEC, you know, we're getting a, a handle on who MCEC is today. We know that MCEC is like a moving, living organism. Who we were in the past is not the same as who we are today. Who will be in the future is also changing. And there's a lot of uh, different forces at work. You know, the Holy Spirit is moving and shaping us in different ways, along with other uh, societal forces, other things that are also at play in thinking about what is the church that, that we are becoming. So Kim and then Jack, what do you think is a major um, internal or external force that's shaping MCEC and that's shaping the future that we're moving into? Well, that is also a really great question. And I mean, ultimately, I want to say the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I also want to say that practically speaking, whether we want to admit it or not, leadership does have a huge impact um, at MCEC in terms of setting the tone and a vision the executive minister, yourself, Leah, these are really important positions. And again, as a church that tends to pride itself on a model that is flat uh, and not hierarchical, we don't always acknowledge the special, at least, responsibility or authority that we have granted to particular people. And then asked, okay, well, how then do we work together uh, in order to make sure that everyone's voices feel heard? Or even is that the goal, that everyone's voices are heard? Is that possible? I think important questions to ask when looking at MCEC's mission and emphases are whose voices are being heard, whose experiences and interests are shaping the conversation. And yes, as we already mentioned, what values are guiding us? While we, the local congregation, seek to be local and make our own decisions, we also seek the support and affirmation of the regional church, its staff, and other congregations within MCEC. We seek a local identity, as well as a wider church identity. But how to do this and whose responsibility is it to do what in fostering this relationship? Again, I think it's about whose voices are privileged and when and how we understand how, how power functions among us, if we name it at all as well as the values that guide us. Because if individual MCEC congregations don't feel supported or celebrated by the regional church, then our relationship with one another is strained. Jack, what would you say? What are, what are some of these major forces that, that are shaping the future we're moving towards? I, I, okay, I, I'll say a little bit about what what the forces have been that have shaped us till now. Actually, that would be very helpful. I'd love to hear that. What what are some of the major things that have got us to where we are? If you look, if you go back thirty or forty or even fifty years, 
and see what has happened uh, in MTEC and its experience. I think there is a there seems to be a thread or a direction that is discernible, a, a trend that is discernible that I think is is significant, and that is that that MCEC was born uh, out of a desire uh, to seek greater church unity, and so this idea of the of, of the unity of the church was there at the cradle of, of MCEC's creation. Uh, at that time, it had to do with, like Kim was saying, you know, the, the inter-Mennonite thing, <laughs> you know, the general conference Mennonites and the old, or, or not old order, but the old Mennonite church, as it was called at the time. And the old, the Mennonite church itself was already a product of, of greater unity uh, between the various kinds of Mennonites and Amish and so on. And so there's been this, this, this thread of, of seeking to expand the potential of unity um, and uh, the DNA of unity uh, during the integration processes, first at MCEC level and then at the MC Canada level, where, and even the continental level, where the General Conference and the Mennonite Church then became integrated. And that particular tendency doesn't seem to want to go away. The, re the, the fact that it doesn't want to go away seems to me one of the reasons why I think it, this may be of God. This may be God working in this because it, it, it just persists. At the same time, it caught a vision, uh, you know, in the early 2000s with, a, with the most recent integration with the U.S., um, it caught a vision of being a church that would take its nationwide context more seriously. And this was even symbolized in the early 2000s during the integration process. This was symbolized by a, a name change, uh, which I think was a very significant uh, ch shift, even an ecclesiological shift, where before it was called Mennonite Conference of Eastern Canada, it was changed to Mennonite Church of Eastern Canada. And that little ch change, even though the, the uh, initials stayed the same, that little shift was, was, was significant uh, in a real sense. It shifted identifying church also as the dynamics that are present at the broader level beyond the local congregation. So, so th this is all part of a kind of a movement that I see that has been there for 50 years approximately to identify us as a church in an ever-expanding way. Thanks for that, Jack. And I love the language of movement. And that's, that's where I see MCEC and our nationwide family of faith is that it's not about being institutions, it's about being a movement. And there are different actors, you know, some are more structured organizations or congregations, some are individuals, some are initiatives, but it's all about this movement of seeking to follow Jesus together and put our faith into action, you know, inspired by our Anabaptist faith. And as we think about this movement going into the future, what are your hopes, Jack, for your grandkids, Kim, for your kids? Between Molly and I, we've got a lot of little ones as well. I I would love to hear from you, um, Kim and then Jack. What do you what do you hope the experience of faith and the experience of Mennonite faith 
will be like for your little ones, for your kids when they are grown up? I mean, I think that this issue of unity, diversity in unity, unity in diversity is a really big one at the center of some of my greatest tensions around my hope for the church. Uh, I want there to be unity and I want there to be an understanding of what joins us together as a wider church. And I want there to be meaningful experiences of community for my children in whatever congregation they are in. But for me, those experiences need to be guided by a particular understanding of justice as connected with peace and a particular understanding of love that is connected with justice. And it won't be a, in unity with every Mennonite church. So it might be divisive and there's that. It's, it, that's the tension. Sometimes unity comes at the expense of liberation for some. And so I'm not sure, but I do hope for experiences of radical love and inclusion and listening across difference, always maintaining an openness and a willingness to listen across difference while maintaining a commitment to a particular understanding of Jesus's radical love and justice and inclusion. That is what I hope for. I think I've lived, I've experienced two movements, two, two uh, that, that, that I would call truly, truly global in, in, our, in our very foundational sense. Uh, one is the move toward the World Wide Web and the information highway and all the technology, the innov technological innovations that allowed that to happen and is now allowing the world to, to access that. When, when that was first talked about, this was a strange idea to many, uh, to all of us, when that was first talked about, it was talked about in very, very positive and flowery language. You know, it would, it would create a global village. We would get to know each other better. We would share information. We would get to know each other's cultures. We would sing together. I mean, it was the descriptions of Bill Gates and others were, were so great about what this would do to the potential of the world and, and the peace of the world and the justice of the world and so on. Uh, and this is an instrument that would just draw us together. Um, as it has turned out, not entirely, but, uh, but um, I think we've all watched the social dilemma now during our pandemic and others, <laughs> other things like that. You know, the, the visions of the, what was meant to be have not exactly uh, materialized. In fact, many sociologists and others are saying that, that what I call tribalization and what they call tribalization is actually partly has actually been ex exacerbated by the information highway and the and the access to information. This has this has chased us almost into smaller and smaller 
groups of of of, of uh, same mindedness with a with a conviction that that we don't really want to interact much with those that aren't like us or that don't agree with us and so on. And so that that drive toward uh, kind of a tribal mentality, which uh, is manifest now all over the world in terms of what I call fundamentalism, both in terms of politics and in terms of religion, the, the religious and political fundamentalists are just uh, getting stronger and stronger uh, around us and around the world. It's exactly opposite of what the promise of the World Wide Web was. Um, so that's one big movement. The other big movement, and we're right in it right now. I, I don't think we've had a movement like the pandemic that, that can be truly called global in the same sense, where, where it's kind of impacting every country, um, not equally. And this is the power dynamics that Kim was talking about are absolutely present. But but the um, it's it's a, it's a movement that we in some way share, and it brings people to their knees. People people that thought they were powerful now all of a sudden realize they too die. Um, and um, so uh, so I think these two are just an example of of God's intent <laughs> to become intentionally and deliberately ever more expanding uh, as our understanding of the church, to be more united, more ecumenical, more global, it's testing our impulses of what it means. And the future will increasingly test those impulses. And the temptation will be to backtrack. The temptation will be to go back and say, no, let's rather move in the opposite direction. I think God's spirit has been leading us, not only us, but the, the world in general has been in, in the direction of, of more of this rather than less. And um, so I think MCEC uh, has a significant voice in this. Uh, I would hope that MCEC will exercise that voice yeah, in the leadership and, and in its congregations and in the direction that it is giving us, because I do sense here a moving of God. You know, Doug, I think that's an incredible way to think about our Mennonite Church Eastern Canada community is we, we have the gift of the diversity among us, diversity in perspectives, diversity of language and cultures that, that come together and we get to be this this microcosm, this little example of what it could look like to kind of live in the, really to live in the glory of God's desire for unity, for radical inclusion, for um, gaining further understanding of God through the differences of others that we're coming together to do this. In. And it's, for me, it's such a privilege to be part of this community and to have, to have been given power by by our community, by MCEC's executive council to help shape this movement, to lift up different voices, and yet to move towards uh, to move towards a sense of unity in this in this movement, not uniformity, because the difference I think is where God can be at work, 
testing us, challenging us, pushing further, and yet making sure that we are hearing all the voices that we can because we don't want to miss God speaking to us because we haven't paid attention to voices from the margins or voices that are not as loud as others. That's why I'm so glad you're there where you are. Thanks, Jack. I'm glad you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in. <laughs> I think in this context, because I started during the pandemic, you're glad that I'm behind this Zoom screen. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. In this courageous imagination year where we're trying to live into that, what would be some, I guess, like practical things for us as we as we try to do that? Um, you know, some comments I've heard is, OK, well, you know, when we listen to the minority, is that at the expense of the majority? Like, how do we work at this? Like, Jack, you shared the example of Midnight World Conference and how somebody in Canada might pay more than somebody from Cuba. But even in the Canadian context, somebody who could actually afford that Canadian amount they somebody else who is Canadian might not be able to afford that, right? And so I guess how have you seen ways of of maybe in your own experiences or even tips for us as we try to listen to all these voices? Um yeah, how do we really work at this together? I really want to see us move from thinking about intercultural as its own thing, separate from the work we need to do with regards to sexism and racism and ableism and all the other forms of privilege and disadvantage because they are interconnected and compounding of one another. And if we take that approach and we view them as connected, we also view our liberation as bound up with each other's liberation. And we recognize that working for, I recognize that working for your well-being is actually also working for my own well-being. Our well-being is bound up together. That shift is really important. It's very sad when we view it as a zero-sum game where paying attention to this church means we're not paying attention to this church or paying attention to intercultural comes at the expense of someone else. We need to look at it from a more, the word I'm using is intersectional. And there's a whole theory around that, that we could talk about. But in essence, it is just this understanding that power is contextual based on time and place and people and also connected relationships that include connections of how racism plays on sexism, plays on ableism, etc., and the understanding that our well-being is connected. So I think that would be really, really helpful because we do feel a little divided on, on these topics, and it really is about the well-being of all of us. And not that it should need to start from there, unfortunately, but sometimes it feels like it does. So I bring that to the conversation. MWC is about as diverse as you can possibly imagine in terms of theology, uh, economics, politics. Uh, I mean, it is... It is extreme to extreme. It really is. So in terms of MCEC, there's, I don't think there's much you can do, Leah, that is better than to be with your congregations. Find ways of being with them. And, and uh, that'll give you 
opportunities to listen and it'll also give you an opportunity to be a voice and the, and your credibility the credibility that you carry with the churches will skyrocket when you do that so uh, i think that's kind of the best thing you can do i think it's something that i'm really committed to and with being in a pandemic this opportunity for the courageous imagination journey of listening to god together this gives us a chance to do that so that we get to have a conversation like this, not just with a few of us sitting down in a room together, but this is a conversation that now can be heard across our community. And we get to hear what other people think about this community. And so for those who are listening, I would love to hear how you would answer these questions of who are we together and who is the church that we are becoming and how do we hold together these different parts? How do we listen and follow the spirits leading among us. So this is a shared conversation together and today's podcast recording is just the start of the bigger conversation that will happen around this. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping this can spark conversation um, in congregations around these important questions that and topics that we're, we're talking today. Um, is there anything that either you or um, Kim or Jack that you would want to share with the listeners, um, any projects you're wanting to people to be aware of? I can go first. I do have a project that I've been working on. Uh, it's a, it's a little book about the church and it's a kind of a summary of what I consider kind of a foundational biblical vision of what it, it means to be the church uh, from a biblical perspective. The title is the baby and the baby and the bathwater, aspiration and reality in the life of the church. So that's uh, hopefully that's coming out sometime in June or July. So you can keep your eye out and out for that. Yeah, uh, and what uh, what I'm working on on the side these days is uh, a book project with. Carol Penner and Suzanne Gunther Lowen on the last 50 years of North American Anabaptist peace theology regarding sexual violence. And it's very much in the early stages, so it's something to look for in the long term. But the last 50 years of Mennonite peace theology and sexual violence. Uh, I'm also going to be presenting a paper as part of a panel on sexual violence and cultures of abuse at institutions of academic higher learning. So work that is survivor-centered is very much a part of my commitments. I want to thank you, Jack and Kim, for um, coming together and having this conversation with Leah and I. I think we probably could have talked about a number of the different topics for a long while. So, <laughs> so thanks for making time to, to join us the, this afternoon. Let's continue the journey together, remembering to keep our eyes open so we can perceive the new things that God is doing right here, right now, and in our communities. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure to follow us at Mennonite Church Eastern Canada on Facebook and Instagram and share this podcast with your friends. See you soon.